0: If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. This morning the words will not be on the screen. So if you want to follow along, you might want to turn there. But we will be uh, skipping through to some extent uh, some of this, this chapter. It's a very long chapter. We're going to read a good portion of it, but we will be um, moving through some of the verses. So for some background, the past several weeks we've been going almost chapter by chapter through First Samuel, but Saul has been made king and then rejected as king over Israel. Last week we saw that after Saul has been rejected as king, Samuel is sent to Jesse and his sons, and David, the youngest that wasn't even brought to the sacrifice, who was out tending the sheep, is the one that God has chosen to be the next king over Israel. And today we get to a story... That you're all very likely familiar with: David and Goliath. So directly in, in the scripture order of him being set as king, or, or anointed as king, as a young boy, as a young man, David will now fight Goliath in this passage. So we're going to start in First Samuel 17:4 through 11. then we'll go 16 through 23, and then 26 through 58. And I'll be reading them just in order. So if you're trying to follow along, you might skip. We're going to be skipping a couple verses. I'll tell you when we do the skipping. All right? All right. Well, let's. if you just want to listen, that's all right as well. So we're going to start in verse 4, 1 Samuel chapter 17. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. He held a helmet of bronze on his head and was armed with a Coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of, this, of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And his shield bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for, the, for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for, your, for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard the words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Moving to verse 16. For forty days the Philistine came forward and took his stand, morning and evening. And Jesse said to his son, to David his son, Take your brothers and Ephah of, the, of this parched grain and these ten loaves, and carry them quickly to the camp of your brothers. Also take the, these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousand, and see if your brothers are well, and bring some token from them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah f- fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took the provisions and went and Jesse, as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. And he talked with them, behold, and as he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came out of the ranks and the Philistines spoke the same words as before and david heard them moving to verse 26 and david said to the men who stood by him what shall be done for the man who kills this philistine and takes away the reproach from israel for who is this uncircumcised philistine that he should defy the armies of the living god and the people answered him in the same way so shall it be done to the man who kills him now Iliab, the his eldest brother heard when he spoke to the men And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from his flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near David with his shield bare in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give your dead bodies... We give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came near and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone stone sank into his forehead, and he fell his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of his sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. For When the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, so that... "'The wounded Philistines fell away from Sharim "'as far as the Gath and Ekron, "'And the people of Israel came back "'from chasing the Philistines, "'and they had plundered their camp. "'And David took the head of the Philistine "'and brought it to Jerusalem, "'and he put his armor in his tent. "'As soon as Saul saw David go out against the Philistine, "'he said to Abner, the commander of the army, "'Abner, whose son is this youth?' "'And Abner said, "'As your soul lives, O king, I do not know.' "'And the king said, "'Inquire whose son this boy is.' And as David returned from striking down the Philistine, Abner took him and brought Saul with him, brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul answered him, or Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we continue this morning. Father, we thank you for this day that you give us. We thank you for this time that we've gathered together. This time that we can look at Your Word and we can see what it says. That we can see this story of David and Goliath that so many of us have known from the time we were children. We can see what it means and how we can apply it to our life today. How we can learn from what David has done. We can learn from what others have done. And how we can follow You more faithfully. I pray that You'll be with us. That You'll convict us to follow You more faithfully this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So you might be wondering, you might be sitting there, why did we read such a long passage? I believe that the Word of God is powerful. And as we read through that passage, even just reading it again as we're preparing now, there's power in the words of Scripture. Seeing the confidence of David as he prepared, seeing the fear of others. And so as we look at this passage, there's a lot of things, a lot of ways you've probably heard this passage preached on before. In a lot of ways that you've, you've heard and you've looked at this idea of, of David and Goliath. And while, if we're going to be honest with ourselves, we might be more likely to find ourselves among the ranks of Israel, trembling before the giant, I want us to learn from David and how he approached this situation and how everyone else approached the situation, how we should approach problems that we encounter. Most specifically, problems that threaten our faith, enemies of God that we are his servants in fighting against, as David was. But when we encounter problems, when we encounter situations where we have an enemy or an issue before us, how should we approach it? So, the first thing that we need to do is we need to identify the enemy. If we are living this life, if we are going through this life trying to follow God, there are going to be times where there will be adversaries or adversarial situations that come against us. The people of Israel, the chosen people of God, go out and do battle with the Philistines as they have been doing the entire time in 1 Samuel. And they're set up to battle. And here comes Goliath, the champion. And and he himself says, I have defied the ranks of Israel and he's looking for a champion to come and fight him from the ranks of Saul. So the first thing that you need to do as you encounter these situations is you need to identify what side are you on? What side are you on? The reason that we have to start with that is because like all people, sometimes we're wrong. Have you ever been in a situation or been in an argument and then after the fact you realized that you were wrong? It's hard. It's embarrassing. But too often we get so confident that we are right in every situation we may find ourselves in. But we need to make sure that we are aware of what God is doing and be, be sure that we are on the side that God is on. Make sure that we are, have pure motives in these situations. And as we look at what side we are on, one of the things we need to figure out is what are we known for? What are you known for? We see a description of a lot of people in this passage. We see Goliath. What is Goliath? He's a giant. He's a great warrior, struck terror into all of Israel. We we see a description of David as a shepherd and an errand boy and a young man. We just see a description of the army and the king of Israel as cowards in the face of the threat of Goliath. Right, so, when people see you in the world, when people encounter you, when people talk about you, what are you known for? What are the things people would say about you? It's going to be based off of their experience. I mean, we don't know very much about Goliath other than he was a great warrior because that was what he was known for because it was what mattered and was relevant at the time. There's probably a lot about Goliath that we don't know. Did he have a family? Did he have children? It's not relevant. Is your faith relevant in the way that you live your life? Is it up front enough that people are going to see it? You see, Saul, and we're going to get to Saul, but Saul was a great warrior. He led the, the Israelites through many victories against the Philistines and other adversaries what do we learn about him from this passage he's a coward he's afraid so what are you are known for is directly related to the things that people see in your life what are you known for and then just as important what are you known by because what you are known for will result in what you are known by how does Goliath refer to the Israelites in this passage, who are the Israelites? Let's, let's learn that from all of Scripture. We know they are the chosen people of God. They are God's people that he is with, that he fights on behalf of. How does Goliath know them? Servants of Saul. At this point, Saul has already been rejected. And it, and it seems that through his leadership and the way that they are interacting, that Saul is more famous among the people of Israel and to those who know the people of Israel than God is. They are servants of Saul. And perhaps that's why he was so foolish as to oppose the people of Israel. So what are you known by? What are you known by? You've definitely heard the the famous quote is, if you were tried as a Christian, if it was all of a sudden illegal, if you were tried as a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? When you live your life, when you go to work, when you go to the grocery store, do the people that see you see you as a person that lives and exudes the love of Christ in your life? The next thing you need to know as you identify the enemy is who would be an enemy of that side? Who would be an enemy of your enemy? So the the reason we're looking at this, one of the the best ways to objectively figure out if you have pure motives is to figure out who is opposed to the people you're opposed to. In this situation, the Philistines serve false gods and sought to destroy the Israelites. So this should help reinforce their position as servants of the living God. And in many cases, we see that those who come against us or the situations we face are those who disregard the living God and are pursuing worldly ambitions. When this is the case, it reinforces our confidence as servants of the living God. If we find ourselves in a situation, however, where our enemies are concerned with serving the living God, we should evaluate ourselves and our actions. And the real problem in the matter is what threat are you concerned about? When we face difficult things in life, when we face big challenges, often we can get distracted from what the real threat is. When there are big things that are looming that are coming against us, it's easy to get distracted from what actually matters and and direct our fear and our anger and our frustration toward those around us. We see this in David's brother. David is coming, On an errand from his father, and he sees what's going on, he hears the defiance of the living God, and he's asking about what's happening. What does David's brother accuse him of? You have evil intentions. You have come to watch the battle. He has taken the threat, Goliath, and directed his frustration at his brother, We have a very clear objective, a very clear goal as Christians to to reach the world for Christ. To share the Gospel with people who daily stand up and defy the living God. But very often, we get too concerned with being afraid of facing that. Of sharing our faith, of speaking truth into a world where there's people who would seek to come against us who would disagree with us. And at times when we're paralyzed by that fear, when we don't live into what God has called us to do, where does that frustration that we have within ourselves go? Toward one another. The threat that is there that needs to be dealt with becomes secondary to these small, infighting things that can happen. We have to be very careful that when there is a battle that needs to be fought that we don't get distracted fighting amongst ourselves. Fighting with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We must fight the battle that is before us. We then need to measure the threat. How big is the problem that you're dealing with? Have you ever, yourself or someone else, and it's usually easier to see and admit in someone else, had a problem that wasn't that big? that became far bigger than it was. Oftentimes, when we think about this passage, people think about the giants in their life and the things that they face. And sometimes we elevate things to the level of a giant that really aren't that big at all. What does it mean to follow and to serve God? What does it mean to face difficulties? Difficulties. We need to measure the threat. We need to make sure that the attention that we give the things in our lives are actually proportional to how important and how dramatic they are and the impact that they have in our life. If these things go wrong, what is the threat? We talked about earlier that the greatest thing that Christ has given us to do is to share the gospel with the world around us. What is the threat if we don't do it? What is the threat? People will die lost, separated from God. That's a big deal. What is the threat that keeps us from doing it? They may not like us. It's a very small consequence to being obedient. In the same way we measure the size of our opponent. And and one thing about Goliath that you may or may not have heard, if 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 I were to ask you how tall is Goliath? I'll I'll, I'll wait for an answer to this. How tall do we think Goliath is? Around nine feet. Well, we know that God's word is true and inspired, but sometimes when people have transcribed and copied God's word, there are errors that can occur. And some of the oldest manuscripts we have say that he might have been closer to six foot nine. So it's either he's four cubits in a span or he's six cubits in a span. The most manuscripts say the the taller, the, the six cubits in a span, nine foot nine. The oldest one, the Dead Sea Scrolls and the, the Septuagint, they say six, four cubits in a span. Six foot nine. Well, here's the thing. If I had been in ancient Israel, I would have fit in a lot more. Okay? I'm saying that because I'm short, and they were probably a lot shorter. Okay? Six foot nine to a bunch of people that are five foot seven or below, still a giant. But it does change some things if he was six foot nine. Because there's one man that wouldn't have been greatly overshadowed by him. King Saul. What is the description of him? From the shoulders upward, he was taller than all the people. I think about the people I stand next to. Um, Most of the ones that are from the shoulders upward taller than me are well within the sixes. King Saul, what did he do? Coward in the face of Goliath. Either way... It doesn't matter whether he was a a giant that was six foot nine or nine foot nine. The problem was that he was big and he was a warrior. That's the other part of it. He wasn't just a large man. He was a warrior from the time he was a youth. And the consequences of facing Goliath and losing were dramatic. It was the, the subjugation of Israel to the Philistines. So he was a big threat with big consequences. But however tall Goliath may have been, he was much more large and powerful in and of himself than any of the people there were in and of themselves. The problem the people who cowered before him faced was a perspective problem. Their perspective was off because they were so concerned with how large and intimidating Goliath was, they forgot how huge the God they served was. They look and they see Goliath, and whether he's six foot nine or nine foot nine, he towers over them and he's stronger than them and he's won many victories. They were afraid. But they forgot that the God they serve. Makes Goliath look extremely small. Francis Chan is a pastor, and, and he, he shares a story that kind of relates to this where he goes, he's, he's Chinese, but has lived his whole life here, went to visit some family in China. Now, Francis Chan is about five foot nine, and he goes there, and all of the people keep saying to him, Wow, you are so big. And he says, No, it's not really that I'm so big, it's just that you're so small. And that's the thing about Goliath. In the scheme of God, it's really not that Goliath was so big, they were just so small. And in turn, when we think about faith, it's not that there are people that at times get elevated as Christians or believers, that they are so big in the faith, they're, they're so spiritual. They're, oftentimes it's that other people can be so small in their faith. It's, they give so, much, so little effort, they don't think about who God is. What, what do we see when someone has the right perspective in this story? David, the smallest one there, the youngest one. They're not even supposed to be there. He's an errand boy. And he hears the same things that has made all of the Israelites tremble in their armor. He comes out for 40 days and says this, and everybody's scared to go against him. And David hears this and says, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And this is where we see the the perspective difference. Goliath has called them servants of Saul. It seems like they're considering themselves as servants of Saul because when they look at Goliath, they're afraid. Because Goliath versus Saul, Goliath's probably going to win in and of themselves. But David comes, this small, ruddy, handsome boy, and says, Who is this guy? What's he think he's doing? We are servants of the living God. And compared to my God, this is nothing. I've fought lions and I've fought bears. And God has delivered me from them and He'll deliver me from Him. When we have a proper perspective of our issues, the things that we face in this life, when we realize that if we are fighting God's battles as His servants and His Holy Spirit is with us, what obstacle can stand in our way. And this doesn't mean that you can go with superhuman strength and face anything with absolute courage because the enemy has to be the right enemy. David was acting as a servant of God, facing an enemy, directly calling out the armies of God. He was not being brash. He was not being, he was not being conceited or narcissistic. He was facing someone who was being all of those things, defying God. And he, he knew that God would not stand for this because we have to remember that the offense is not directly toward you when we face these problems in our life when we face Goliath like problems these are not problems that are personal problems we have to understand that in our life that personal problems things that we've created for ourselves or things that are not related to our, our our life and our walk with God are not Goliath problems Goliath, what was the issue? He was defying the armies of God. He was standing in the face of God and spitting in his face. And so the things that we can look at this story and take comfort in are the things that are on when we are acting as servants of God, as David was. As Israelites fought, they should have remembered that they were the chosen people of God to live in covenant with him. They should have remembered, as he's proven time and time again, that God fights for them. The offense was, as David said, a defiance of the armies of the living God. And what we see here—it's beautiful—the way that God does this—is that because he defied God, and he cursed David by his gods. You know who one of those gods was? Do you remember? We talked about him—the mermaid, Dagon. What happened to Dagon when he was in the presence of the Ark of the Covenant? Fell face down. And his head fell off. And when Goliath, who cursed David by his gods, faced David, he struck with a stone and falls face down. And David cuts his head off with his own sword. He faced the same fate as the gods he served because he was not able to stand in the face of God. And so when we identify the enemy and we go to battle, we have to choose our weapon. We have to choose our weapon. When David was being prepared, because for some reason Saul was so cowardly that he thought it was a good idea to let this young servant boy, although maybe he was persuasive because he spoke uh, on how God would be with him, he gives him all of his weapons. He gives him his his armor and and his sword. And he says, these things aren't familiar to me. I can't use them. So what does he do? He takes his, his staff and his sling and some stones. And he goes to face Goliath. So what weapons are available to us as we seek to fight the battles that we might have to fight in this world? We we see ourselves all of our ability, all of our things that we are our intelligence, our stature, whatever it might be, just like all of the people of Israel, those things will not be enough. They might get us through some things in life, but when it comes to fighting the battles of the Lord, they're not enough. We have the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that was within David when he did this is the Holy Spirit that lives within us. That will empower us to do things that are beyond our ability. We have the the, the power of prayer, to go to God in prayer, to seek Him and to petition Him. I was convicted of that this week where I had been worried about something. Something was bothering me. And I remembered, just like King Saul, that I had not petitioned the Lord in prayer about this problem. Everything that we have, every anxiety, every problem we have, we should take to the Lord in prayer. We also have Scripture. All of the truth that we can know about God has is, is been given to us in Scripture. We can remember the stories of David and Goliath and all of the other stories contained within to see the character and nature of who God is, to see how He works through His people. That when we face daily problems, we can see Scripture that tells us how we should interact. I'll tell you, yesterday I was a little convicted. I was preparing for a wedding and our kids were just being kind of crazy. And I wasn't being very patient. And I was looking over my, my, my sermon that I was giving at the wedding that was talking about how if we love the way that God would call us to love, we should be able to put the word I in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the one that's read so often at weddings. We should be able to put the word I where love is. Because if we are being loving What's true about love should be true about us. Right? Love is patient and kind. It's not self-seeking, right? It doesn't keep record of wrongs. We should be able to say, I am not, I am patient and kind. I don't keep record of wrongs. I'm not self-seeking. Well, all I'll do is get to I am patient, because I wasn't being very patient. When you replace the word love in that passage with I, you see where you begin to fail, where you have growing points. So Scripture will convict us and grow us and prepare us to be the people, the servants of God that we should be. And when we do prepare to face our enemy, when we do prepare to do things and to serve God, to go before Him, to do the things that are scary, what weapon should we take? You should take the one that is familiar to you. And so that means that if there's no weapons that God has given you that you're familiar with, you've got a problem. What do you need to do? Train yourself with the weapons God has given you. So what do I mean by this? Does that mean that you can't do anything? Well, what's the most basic thing that you can do as you go to share the gospel? It's an intimidating thing. What's the most basic thing you can do? You can tell what God has done for you. You should know that better than anything else you know about God, about what God has done for you. I'm a sinner. This is how I was sinning. These are the things I did wrong. These are the ways that God convicted me and He saved me from my sin because I was going the wrong way and I realized I couldn't do it on my own. And what God has done for me, He'll do for you. You should know that story as well as anything you know about God. Because there are things like apologetics, these deep theological people who have gone into thinking through how we can explain and defend the faith. And there are wonderful tools. Do you know what's a really bad idea? Having heard one sermon or watched one video over a topic and then seeking to go and try to tell that to someone else. You're not familiar with it. Get familiar with the ways in the, that we can share the gospel. Get familiar with the ways that we can go to battle as servants of God with the enemies that we might encounter. Because if you're familiar with it, God will use you with it. Use what you know and what you're familiar with to do His work in the world. And so as we fight the battle, the, the, the good news is the, at this point, the work should be done. You know the enemy, you realize and you recognize this is a person that God is opposed to God and that you need to be into the battle with. David had no reservations when he faced Goliath. He realized this person was opposed to the living God. He realized that God would be with him. He knew all that he needed to know, and he went and was obedient. that is the part where we're fighting the battle. Is it really an act of obedience? when we face the problems and situations that come before us, when our life is, is difficult, when these people are coming against us and being difficult, if we have identified how we should really respond in the situation, if we have identified what God has given us, we've prepared ourselves as we should daily, when we go to face these situations, whether it's sharing the gospel, whether it's dealing with someone who's, who's wronged us, whether it's whatever it may be, it should be a simple act of obedience and following through. Because we know what we're supposed to do. And we know how we're supposed to do it. And we remember. And we're confident. Because we understand. Who will really be doing the fighting. What did David say as he fought Goliath? He didn't say today I will prevail over you. He said today. The Lord will defeat you. The Lord was fighting on behalf of David. And when we face Situations we know how God wants us to respond. We can have that same confidence that God is on our side, because these things aren't small things we're talking about, right? That's where we always get a little confused, right? When when two football, high school football teams, it's playoff time, right? In high school football, how many people on both sides are praying their team's going to win? Everybody right it's not necessarily that it's wrong to but that's not what this is talking about there is a movie about it facing the giants it's about high school football but it's about more than that it's not that's not what this is talking about this doesn't mean when you face a problem that if you just want it enough god will be on your side and you'll prevail it means when you're acting as a servant of the living god and you face things that are opposed to god god will be on your side And because of that, we have to be responsible in how we award the credit. We remember who fought the battle. We remember that we in and of ourselves are the servants of God. That is one thing that we'll see through David's life. He did well. He did not get a big head. He did not get conceited. He made mistakes, but he remembered that he was reliant upon God, and he was a servant of God, and nothing more than that. When he was anointed as king and when he became the acting king, He was a servant of God. And we have to remember that in our life, that no matter how successful we may be in life, no matter how difficult life may be for us, we are servants of God. And we we rely on Him, and we must trust in Him. Because the reality is is that we see in this situation where a servant of God got what was a, a victory, which was the victory that they wanted. We know that there's times in our life where being a servant of God and we're we're following God means that we will face difficult things and what feel to us like failures. We've talked about sharing the Gospel. You might go and you might share the Gospel. You might be faithful and they might reject the Gospel. That does not make you a failure. It makes you obedient. You You are reliant on God to work through you for what you're doing and you leave the results To God as well. Your obedient victory or perceived loss. We remember our place in all of it. Staying humble all the time. So my question for you this morning, as we look at what David has done, what battles are you facing in your life? Have you evaluated your place in them? Are you confident that where you stand is where God would have you be? And are you fighting for things that matter? Because Satan will absolutely do that. He will distract you with anything and everything he can to keep you from facing the things that really matter. Do you know how many people probably are concerned with how clean their house is when their family's falling apart? How many people are concerned with their appearance when the way that they're living and acting with people is not how God would have them to act and to live. You can be concerned with all of the wrong things and miss the big things. Just like David's brother was concerned with why his brother's figuring out what's going on when they've got a major problem right in front of them. Are you fighting the right enemy? How are you fighting your battles? Are you fighting them alone? are you depending on God? Are you relying on God for the victory? Are you following through on the battle? Are you doing what you know you're supposed to do? You can identify the enemy, you can be prepared, and you can do nothing. Are you being obedient in what you are called to do? Are you staying humble in victory or in defeat? Or maybe today, you've been doing everything you can all on your own. And that's why I mentioned at the beginning, you have to evaluate what side you're on. Because do you know what Goliath thought? He thought he was on the right side. But he found himself opposed to the living God. And as we go through this life, as we go through this everyday life, even today, there might be some of you who sit here today thinking you've been living your life the best you can. But when you come face to face with the living God, you realize that the best you can is not enough. Because what Goliath should have done when David said all those things to him was repented. and said, I don't want to defy the living God. And the good news of our God is He's so gracious and merciful that you can live your whole life in defiance of Him. Only to find out that He loved you so much while you were in your defiance of Him that He gave His only Son so that you could be saved. And so today, if you've been living your life trying to be a good person, trying to do the best you can do, trying to fight your own battles, to earn your way to a right standing with God, the only answer is surrender to the one who fought the battle in your place. Because let me tell you something. If any of those Israelites had decided in and of themselves, you know what, I'm feeling brave today. I'm going to go fight Goliath. Do you know what would have happened? They would have lost. Because they were going to fight them because they were brave that day. So when you go through this life and you're thinking, man, I'm, I'm feeling like I got it all together. You're only fooling yourself. The only way that we can truly be free, the only way we can truly have a right relationship with God is to have submitted ourselves and surrendered to what, Jesus, to, to what Jesus Christ has done for us. That while we were still sinners, He died for us. He made a way that we could be saved. David is a picture of what Jesus has done for us. Facing insurmountable odds, facing something we couldn't defeat on our own, Christ died for us. He took our sin. He fought on our behalf. He defeated death. And so if you have not trusted Him this morning, today is the day to do that. And if you have, today is the day to evaluate how well you are acting as a servant of the living God. As we prepare for this time of invitation, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I just pray that You will be with us this morning, that that You will help convict us in our lives of how we've been living for You or how we haven't been living for You. Have we been seeking to, to be servants that would face anything that You call us to or are we cowering on the sidelines? God, I pray that You would help us to remember that everything that we have, every good and perfect thing is from You that when we encounter a world that is opposed to you, Lord, we should not cower and stay in what we feel is safe places or in safety. But we should actively be seeking to be people who are servants of you, who are a part of the army of the living God. Not seeking to destroy, but seeking to bring life to places, bringing light into darkness, life where there is death. Because you have given us life when we were dead in our sins. God, I pray that if there is anyone who does not know You here today, that today would be the day they would lay down themselves, they would realize that they have been walking in opposition to You and surrender to You and ask You to save them from their sin. God, I pray that You would be with us today. In Jesus' name, amen.